Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, my co-host Jennifer Kalari coming along shortly, and this is the show where we talk about mental health issues of all kinds, and we practice skills, because mental health is a practice. It's only as good as what you do on a moment-to-moment basis, which means I'm failing everything. But that's okay because it's a learning it's a learning process that will take a lifetime. And you have you always have an opportunity, right? To do it. They wrote a song about me. The police wrote a song years ago called The King of Pain. They actually researched me and they came up with that song. Usually we have guests from entertainment from all over the world of comedy, writers, directors, actors, producers. Today, no guests, because we wanted to do a questions and answers show a special show, a special Q&A show. We don't get a chance to do this. And so we thought we would take some we would take some questions from listeners and of course the answer part will come from Jennifer because I can't help you at all. So that's what we'll do today. I want to tell you that today's show is sponsored by Write and Spread. Write and Spread is a new edible food pen. It's a pen that actually spreads out on your food on your meals, your favorite sayings, things that, that make you conscious about eating that help you to slow down. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, sometimes you eat standing up, sometimes you eat uh, laying down, sometimes you eat with an anti-gravity, you know, sometimes you eat upside down. Uh, I, very rarely do I sit down and actually uh, am present for what I'm eating. I'm lucky to be able to have food to eat. So I wanted to, so we wanted to do a kind of a product and a product is write and spread and you can use it with kids. You can, you can just write interesting statements, statements that raise your, raise up your, your uh, great sayings or something that just tells you to slow down. Just the phrase slow down. If you see it on your eggs, you might actually be able to do it. It's write and spread, edible food pens. It's a write off. You can eat and greet with write and spread. I want to tell you that you can listen. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts, okay? You can go to makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, of course. And also, you want to go to connectedparenting.com because Connected Parenting has all of Jennifer's classes, media, uh, support services, all kinds of resilience skills, Obviously, I get choked up about that. All kinds of resilient skills for you and your family, self-parenting skills, fantastic stuff at ConnectedParenting.com. And right now, I want to present the uh, queen of serotonin, the uh, ninja of the neocortex, and the Magellan of emotional regulation, uh, Jennifer Kalari. Now, Jennifer, we usually have guests, but, you know, and we talk about all kinds of subjects today. I thought we'd do two things. One is play a little game called Name That Phobia. I'm going to quiz you. Um, They're different phobias. We're not making fun of phobias at all. They're serious things. But there are some that are unusual that you may not have heard about before. So we're gonna, I'm going to question you about that. And then we're going to have questions and answers, issues that are on people's minds from all over the country, people that are listening. And we'll have those as well. So first of all, I want to just play this game with you called Name That Phobia. It's going to be interesting. These are all very specific. I'm going to give you the name, and you tell me what the phobia is. 
let's start with paramophobia. Would you have any idea what that is? Paramophobia? Paramophobia. Very uh, unusual. I don't know. Having trouble setting boundaries? Well, it could be. It 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 sounds right. It's a fear of a hundred. It's the fear of watching the hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and there's of course another one I like called get out of my faceophobia, which is the fear of telling people to get out of your face. So I like that one. But these are actual ones. There's no way from the name that you would know, but it's very interesting. This one is called arachibutrophobia. Arachibutrophobia. I, it sounds like there's a spidery thing in there. Yes. But the, I don't know. Arachibutrophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Wow. Okay. It is a fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. While the phenomenon has happened to everyone at one point or another, people with arachibutrophobia are extremely afraid of it. The okay. severity varies from person to person. We've talked about mesophobia before, where a lot of people have this uh, sensitive sensitivity to noise. This is fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. So if you have this, you know, connect with us and we'll we'll figure something out for you. We'll talk to you about it. Because phobias are fears, right? Mm-hmm. They're extreme fears. And so we have skills that you can use for that. And we'll talk about that in a second. This is the next one. Nomophobia. And by the way, Jennifer, you're playing for a trip to Barbados. Okay. <laughs> nomophobia. Okay. Nomophobia. A nomophobia. Now, I'll give you a clue. This is something that we all will experience uh, because of technology. Okay. So, like know my phone like i can't find my phone or- yes, yes it's a fear of being without your phone okay nomophobia you need to people, have that a lot people with nomophobia experience excessive anxiety about not having their phone with them their mm-hmm. battery being low or their right. phone being out of service which is real yeah regardless of the circumstances not being able to use the phone causes people with nomophobia to become panicked and experience extreme symptoms of anxiety huh Okay. Now, this is also stems from a person having a cell phone addiction. Have you experienced any of this in your practice? People being afraid of their, like, not having a phone? Well, not even not having their phone, but cell phone addiction, oh, where yes. people are using it, yes, yes. kids are using it, yeah. or, or parents are using it to avoid communicating with each other. And Yeah, we can talk about that. That's a huge thing. Okay. And then, you know, sort of epic, really painful meltdowns when teenagers can't find their phone. I mean, if you have a teenager and you've lived through one of those, it's, it can, you know, tear the house down. Um, there are these big moments. The phone is very, very much connected to emotion. Although it's interesting because when I've had kids on my caseload and they've lost their phone or their phone isn't working they they panic for a while. And then they kind of describe when they haven't had their phone, this, this wonderful freedom, actually feeling good about not having their phone. You just have to get through the panic part. And how do they get through that usually? Like what, what will you, do you, do you prepare people for that? I mean, we've talked a lot about panic on the show. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Well, so, I mean, listen, there's, there's real panic where, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely, and we'll talk about what a phobia actually is. You know, for a lot of us, when we can't find our phone for a second, it's sort of a momentary panic and then our brain can adjust but usually after, and I say teens because teenagers actually interpret the world very differently than adults. They actually feel the world more than we do. 
So they've done studies actually where they've put adults in an MRI machine and then showed them photographs of facial expressions and adults, for the most part, do a pretty good job at it. When you put a teenager in an MRI machine and you show them facial expressions, they will see anger where there's not anger. They will see fear where there's no fear. They will see judgment where there's no judgment. They really, that part of the brain is overreactive and sort of underdeveloped. The the midbrain's job is to kind of mitigate that. Um, so teenagers have big, big, enormous feelings about things, and it just sort of hits them like a tidal wave. And then they kind of work that through, and then they can calm down. And so one of the things that's really important when you're parenting, this happens to little kids too, is to sort of just be present while your kid's having their meltdown. And we've talked about this before on the show, just be present, just mirror, connect, don't try to talk them out of it. And then usually that does it. Usually that gets the oxytocin flowing, it gets the right chemicals moving, and they can actually kind of get over it and move on to the next step, which is, okay, what do I do? But it's not pretty. Well, resistance causes a lot of, you know, if I can, if I could point up, you know, like most of the things in my own head, it's the, it's the resistance to it. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that I'm pressing against it and I don't want to acknowledge it Yeah. because I think it's too painful. I think, I say, I think it's too painful. It's actually not too painful. What's painful is the resistance, but my brain is telling me that I'm in danger. And mm-hmm. so because I don't realize that, you don't, you don't stop and say, hey, brain, you're telling me that I'm in danger, but am I really in danger? Can I question this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it, it's really, there's lots of things that you can do to question the thoughts and question the, the feelings. Just question it. Just ask mm-hmm. if it, is this true? Yeah. Is it, is it true? Absolutely. And one of the things you can do with yourself, but also your kids or your teens is you kind of come up with levels, like right? So one to 10 and a 10 would be like earthquake level. Like that would be an emergency. That would be a really serious thing that's happening, a fire, an earthquake. And, you know, if you have a young child, don't go in, don't put fears in their head, but, you know, have them think about something that would be a level 10. And with a level 10, you're allowed to have a level 10 response, screaming, yelling, crying, running, whatever, right? The, The response matches the event. And then you kind of go down the scale. You think, okay, well, what's a nine? So... I don't know, a nine might be a fire in the kitchen that just started that you have an, you, you could put it out, right? So they'd be yelling, but not necessarily grabbing people and hitting and running out of the room. And then you go to level eight and level seven, and you keep finding events that kind of match. And then you get to ask yourself, okay, why am I having a level 10 response to a level four thing? So losing, not being able to find your cell phone immediately is really maybe a level three because it's probably around somewhere. So why are we having a level 10 response to it? You know, we're responding as if there's an earthquake and you have to run out of the house screaming. So it's a way to kind of anchor your brain so that you don't have disproportionate emotional responses. And sometimes just putting a level on it can really help. And then that works really well with your kids. Hey, you had a level 10 reaction to your brother switching the channel on you. Why do you have a level 10 response to a level four event? And it kind of helps you scale it. It just, it assists the frontal lobe in mitigating and organizing and prioritizing what's going on. I can see, that's a great idea. And I can see that in the moment you could actually refer to it if you called it out, you could say, oh, mom's at a 10. (laughs) (laughs) 10. Yeah. You know, I, I see family games, you know, taking the elements of charades not only like role playing, you know, about life issues, family situations, 
but actually a game show called Are You Kidding Me Right Now? <laughs> and Are You Kidding Me Right Now is a game where you actually just admit to your family like what you're thinking in your head. <laughs> and you just say it. And then the, somebody in the family says, are you kidding me right now? Because it's amazing what you're saying to yourself yeah, it's true. during the week. It's and true. it's like, what did you say to your, forget about how, how was your day. What'd you say to yourself today that was crazy? Let's hear that. I love that. You know, are you kidding me right now? Are you for real? I are, like you that. For, are you for real is even a better one. One way to kind of really put someone into a level 10, though, is point out that they're in a level 10. Don't do that. <laughs> That would not work. Because then they'll then they'll go then they'll go crazy. Then they'll be at a level ten and they'll uh, and they'll exactly. get a frying pan. They'll exactly. Get a frying exactly. Pan. Don't do it in the moment. But that is really something good you can do for yourself, or you can teach your kids to do for yourself, or you can reflect on it after and go, yeah, I really did have a level ten response to a level three thing there. Yeah, my brain is very sophisticated. It thinks I'm in danger twenty four hours a day. <laughs> So I must have in a previous life been attacked by a saber-toothed tiger, and it didn't go well for well, me. Well, we all have at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, at some point you did. It didn't go well for me. When you're the food, it's not so good. Let's go to some questions that listeners have, have written in. And these are the reason why I picked these questions is because they're really direct, and they're, really, they're, they're things that I think everybody can relate to. Okay. Yeah. Cause we get, you know, listeners are really good for the show. I mean, they, they, we have some very loyal listeners and we have them all over the place. So Callie in Lake Oswego, New York says, how can I keep myself sane while trying to stay informed about COVID and while watching the news? Hmm, that's a really good question. Okay. So a few things you also, you want to stay informed. You want to know what's going on, but it's also how much do you immerse yourself in that? So I really think it's important to limit how much you're listening to the news and what news you're listening to. And also think about what time of day. Like I don't, I don't think opening your eyes in the morning and looking at your phone is a great way to start the day. And yet most of us do that. So a great way to start the morning is before you get out of bed, you can do like a countdown. Five, four, three. So you get out of bed and you're ready to start the day in a good space. And then you can think about five things, five people who you just love. And just imagine looking right into their eyes and telling them why you love them. And it, it, if you can't think of five people, think of five things about one person or two people. Start the day really anchored in those beautiful reward chemicals. And when you think about people you love and when you appreciate people in your life, you will flow with oxytocin. Oxytocin is a really powerful hormone and that will set the chemical tone for the day. And then you can think about five things you're grateful for. I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful that my legs work to take me into the kitchen. What It doesn't really matter what it is. It could be this, I have running water. It, just putting yourself in that state of gratitude. So it, kind of five, five, and five. Do your countdown from five. Think about five things, about five people you love, and then five things you're grateful for and start the day that way. Don't touch your phone. Then pick a time in the day maybe midday, late morning, where you can look at your phone. And, and also don't look at it before you go to bed. Don't, don't go to sleep. When we go to sleep in that energy, we can sometimes wake up in that energy and that causes you to have trouble falling asleep. It can, it can affect the quality of your sleep when you're looking at terrible news and awful things all day long. And also remember this, it does seem like there's bad news everywhere. It really does. But honestly, if you go through your life, you move through your day, you're seeing people helping each other, 
obeying traffic signals, smiling, joking. There's there's so much good news actually that that the bad news, even though it feels enormous, is not actually proportionately as real as we think it is when we look at the news all the time. Does that make sense, Ed? It does. And in fact, a quick plug for squirrel-news.net, squirrel, like a squirrel-news.net, solutions journalism. It's actually stories of solutions of, that are going on in the I world right that. now that are, that are part of the news. They're in the news. You just have to crawl through a lot of crap to get to them. So this is a, an app that curates them. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's really good. So then balancing that. So if you're going to look at the news, then balance it with that. Yeah. With squirrel news or good news or yeah. even even good news in your own day. Think if you were a newscaster in your own life, what would be the good news stories that you'd report on? Good morning, everybody. Ed Krasnick is up. <laughs> that would be it. That's it. That's, That's the it. only thing. But now, will you say something important here, which is also not only you know, looking through, I mean, and you can do it in whatever way you want, right? Closing your eyes, sitting in a chair and imagining somebody that you love and then smile to them. Mm-hmm. You're smiling to them. I mean, that's for a minute. That could be a minute. But it often has to do with the way you go to bed. Yes. If you go to bed like a crazy person, chances are you're not waking up as a sane person. Yeah. And it, it's really about like your mental diet. What are you thinking about? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Right. And making sure that it's balanced. You obviously want to be informed, but you don't want to be watching. You don't want CNN or whatever news you watch playing in the background of your life all the time, narrating your mood. And what we say all the time, Ed, is the the midbrain doesn't know the difference between something it's hearing that's outside of our lives or something that's happening to us right now in the moment. Our bodies respond as if it's happening to us, which constantly stresses us out, downgrades our immune system, biochemically causes us to be in a state of of stress. Those emotions are actually um, depleting. They drain us. And so really spending time thinking about what you're thinking about and making sure that what you're ruminating on is more positive, is more pleasant. And that actually will energize you like a battery. Like if you leave your car, if you leave light on in your car, the battery is trick is gonna like eventually drain out, right? Well, that's what negative thoughts do to us. It basically it drains our batteries. I've been sitting in a parking lot with the emergency brake on with my my lights on for 25,000 years. <laughs> right? That's basically it. And also the way that you cope, that what becomes comfortable, zoning out, what becomes familiar and comfortable is often the thing that's actually holding you back from health and joy. It's so true. It's, it's the actual thing. And it's just like you think, oh, this feels easy. It's familiar. It's comfortable. And, and usually, you know, for me, it's something like, you know, it's zoning out or it's, it's, you know, watching too much TV or it's on the phone or it's listening to talk radio that's like crazy. Whatever it is, it's media usually related. Yeah. Yep. It's actually keeping you. Like the interesting thing was my daughter, so she goes to camp, right? Well, they don't let you have your phone. Mm-hmm. You Beautiful. don't have a phone at camp. So for three weeks, no phone. Yeah. And she... Loved it. Her life changed. Yeah. Yeah. Her life completely changed. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing just to note these things. We don't have to punish ourselves about them, uh, but just to note that the thing, the next time you, that you reach for something that's familiar, that makes you feel comfortable, see if it's actually something that is helping your life 
or if it's something yeah. that's actually keeping you in a place of, you know, where of disease, of conflict. The brain likes patterns. You're right. It likes what's familiar. And every once in a while, you just have to ask yourself, what am I doing? Yeah, why what am, am I, I doing? thinking about this? Why, why is this what I'm doing right now? And just try it for a minute. Yeah. Just go out of it for a second. Yeah. And even though this sounds so simple and there will be people listening going, are you kidding me? Really? But honestly, like little by little, you're rewiring your brain. And I have worked with so many people who've gone from extreme anxiety and depression to feeling completely different. And they've done it by rewiring, by changing what they're thinking about. Where thoughts go, energy flows. It's that simple. It takes time, it takes practice, it takes commitment, and you'll fall off the wagon and get yourself back on. But you're the architect of your brain. You are. There's a lot of scaffolding around my brain right now. And I, and I am the, I've got a blueprint on the floor. Beautiful. I've got flashlights everywhere, but I, uh, I also have a cup of coffee. I'm just having one, but, but whatever that picture looks like to you that I actually thought of a picture that looks like an Escher painting where you have, you're the architect of your brain. It takes a minute. It doesn't take a lifetime. It takes a minute. I love it. It takes one minute it, and even a second. Okay. Just a second of recognition can really change everything. Absolutely. So the end of that question was about COVID specifically, wasn't it? Yes. Again, if you're if that's all you're thinking about, so I would just suggest that okay, have have your time where you think about COVID and you worry about it and you do what you need to do. And and we talk a lot on the show about going towards those emotions and just embracing them and feeling them and then moving away from them. So then actually just find something you can see, something you can taste, something you can smell that makes you feel good. Honestly, like, oh, I love I really do love that I have that picture on the wall and that's a pretty good view out my window. And these pajamas that I'm wearing are actually really soft and this tea tastes really good. It sounds so silly, but take your brain, gently guide your brain away from the thought that's triggering you like COVID and start think, start feeling and thinking about something else. And it'll go right back to COVID. And then you just gently, you don't get mad at yourself, just gently guide yourself back to more neutral, pleasant, general thoughts and just keep doing that every single day, every single day. You, you worrying about COVID 24-7 isn't helping anybody. It's not, especially your immune system, which downgrades when you're stressed. So just really try to think about neutral things, positive things, anything else after you've watched the news. And that's one mental diet, building up your immune system and physical too, you know, whatever you have to take to build up your immune system. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just as important. The vaccine is extremely important, but for the long run, we need a stronger immune system. We do. Vitamin D, vitamin vitamin C, walking, not eating too much sugar. Like those are all really important things. We need to talk more, I think, in this country about what you can do to protect your health. There's not a lot of discussion about that. Yeah. What you can do to promote and protect your health, that's, a, that's mental health and physical health. Mm-hmm. We don't have to try to stop something just to start something. Yeah. Just add something. We don't have to stop. Just add. Just add. You have a little, you know, something, w- whatever works for your body. But yeah. if your immune system is stronger, that's a good thing. And that's something that you should have anyway for longevity and for your health. And it certainly can hurt with all the situations that are going on with COVID. It can't, it can't be hurting your ability to deal with those things. Yeah. Not to say that you shouldn't be vaccinated. You should be vaccinated. You should get the vaccine. You should do whatever you can do. Why wouldn't you do whatever you can do to help yourself and to help other people? Another question. This is Bill in Chicago. 
How do I help someone who refuses to get help? Hmm. This is one that I hear all the time. And the truth is you can't make somebody want to get help. When you're in that really dark space where it's literally like a, like a magnet is pulling you down into this kind of deep, dark state, people who are trying to help you or people who talk about good news or people who talk about strategies, all that just feels annoying and irritating and shallow and unfair and invalidating. It's very hard to explain. And people who are listening who, who get into that state, you'll, you'll know what I mean. You know, when someone comes in and says, why don't you go for a walk? And how about listening to some music? Like when you're in the depths of, of sadness, which particularly depression, which can literally feel like there's been a death, like literally an hour before and people are telling you to go for a walk, right? Like it, it feels that heavy that that's not what's happened, but the body is actually feeling that way. And that's resistance that you were talking about. That's that's tremendous. That's a huge form of resistance that just holds you down. That's your brain saying, stay down here. Just stay down. Don't try anything. Don't do anything. Just stay down here. It can't get any worse. Right. And there's some strange familiarity and safety in things not being able to get worse. So you cannot make someone get help. You can model, you can be present. You can be loving, you can sit with them, you can hold their hand, you can tell them you're sorry that they feel so terrible and if they need anything, you're here. But you can't actually make someone get help. And here's the thing, if we all just worried about, and I don't mean in a selfish way, if we all just worried about what we're thinking about, right? what's the state of our own mind? What, what are we resonating with? If we just worried about that, we would lift everybody else up. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's, it's, it's really, you know, that, that narrows your job down and it narrows what you can, what you are thinking about and focuses you on what, you know, focuses me on what I'm doing in this moment. And it's a minute. It's not, yeah. you don't have to think about everything. It's just right now, what am I telling myself? Is it true? Even something like that, or even just the intention of awareness of what am I, you know, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking it? And can I choose a better thought? And when somebody is really struggling, as much as you want to help them, if you're pulling them, they're going to resist you. It's sort of like walking into a dark room and putting the light on. You're going to be like, wow, what are you doing? Right? If you come in all sunshine and happy while they're really struggling, there's not going to be resonance there. It's not going to work. So you have to be prepared to just, just be with them. Sometimes it's not even about offering solutions. It's literally just saying, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I'm so sorry that your brain is doing this to you. It's such a dark space that you're in. I'm just going to sit here with you. And It sounds so not helpful, but anyone in that state will tell you that's all they want. Right. And they get a lot of the other. They get a lot of people trying to help and trying to fix. The intentions are good, but it doesn't help anybody to deny what's going on with them. Yeah. And and being well while you're trying to help somebody is a big advantage that you can have. You don't have to go with them. And that's really important, Ed, because I know from working with so many people who are kind of really struggling with depression and anxiety, is they, they then worry about what they're doing to everyone else in their lives, which then is an added layer to them. So if you can say to them, look, I love you and I'm here for you and I'm going to sit with you and I'm sorry this is happening to you, I'm going to dart in and out because I'm, I'm going to go on and do the things that I need to do. Um, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to check on you because I love you and I know this is hard for you. 
with this sort of confidence in them that they will and they can get through it, I think is really important. Uh, This is particularly hard as a parent, right? If you watch your own child suffering, you just want to get in there and turn the lights on and flip the blinds open and tell them to get out and take a walk and you're doing this to yourself. And it ends up becoming this frantic exchange that's really just coming from a place of fear, terror, actually, as a parent. The real strength and the real healing comes from that darting in and darting out. And then, you know, when they do come out of their room, like don't overdo it with, oh my God, look who's out. Oh, this is great. Like that's just way too much sunlight in their eyes. Like just be like, nice. I'm glad you're out. It's awesome. Like with that calm kind of energy. And then you're building on that. It's very painful. It's painful for for the person who's struggling and it's so hard for the loved one to watch this. And it's, you end up getting so sad and so anxious yourself while you're watching them go through it. And then it just becomes a chain of pain. And I sang that song with um, with a soul band at one point, <laughs> Chain of Pain. It's really something where, you know, you say the word self-parenting. I need to parent myself while I'm parenting my kids. Yes, That's the issue. Absolutely. The issue is not like, let's change them. Let's help them. But I'm a mess. Like, that's yeah. not... That's not parenting. That It is yeah. parenting, but it's, and, and certainly you're all going to, I mean, n- nobody's perfect with it. You all get into, I, I get into this all the time. Sure, we all do. But a little bit of what what am I doing? Is this yeah. panic about trying to help them or is it about trying to help me? Sometimes with parenting, a lot of it is, will you just behave differently so I can feel better? And right. if we're really honest with ourselves, that's a lot of it. And so yeah. if you can figure out a way to be okay, even though they're struggling, that's actually much more helpful to them because they don't have to worry about themselves and you, right? And they're not constantly dealing with that fear every time. So like a lot of teenagers that I'm dealing with right now, that as soon as they hear their parents' feet outside the door, they're already resisting. You haven't even said anything. And they're already like, oh my God, here she comes. Hmm. It's hard. And and often as parents, we're saying things that they're already saying in their own heads to themselves, about themselves. Right. Uh, there's another question that's coming in. And we only have time for like one more, I think. Well, let's go to let's go to this one. This is Samantha in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Beautiful area, by the way. My husband and I fight a lot and it's gotten to the point where I expect it to happen. What do I do? What can I do to change this? Nothing seems to work. Okay. So this is an interesting one because it's it's touching on what we were talking about a moment ago with familiar. The brain likes familiar patterns. It's not even good for us necessarily, but it's familiar and the brain doesn't like change. What I say with couples is you will never change the other person. It's impossible. right? So when I have couples come in and they come in for marital therapy, it's literally like a tennis match that one lobs something at the other. Well, you do this. Well, I wouldn't do that if you didn't do that. Well, I only do that because you do this. And I could literally walk out of the room and they'd just be lobbing things back and forth. And often people come to marital therapy with this kind of secret agenda that the therapist is going to say, you see, you're wrong and she's right. And that's not how it works. The most important thing is turn inward. What are you expecting to happen? What pattern is your brain setting up without you even knowing? What belief do you have that's dictating that morning. Well, he always says this. I'm going to say that. And I just know he's going to say this. If that's the pattern already, the subconscious mind is very, very powerful. It's much more powerful than the conscious mind. 
And it will steer you into that fight, whether you want to be in it or not, just because it's a familiar pattern. So set a different intention, first of all. And then whenever you're in a conflict with another person, the only way you're going to get any anywhere is by asking yourself, what is my contribution? What is going on in me that is causing my spouse to respond that way? Right? So let's say, I don't know, who knows, your, your husband lies. He said, he, you know, you asked him to do something, he said he didn't and he didn't, or your kids for that matter. There's, there's no reason to get personal about this, Jennifer. No reason at all. Okay, the go ahead. The question needs to be this. what What's going on in me? What am I bringing to this dynamic that makes my husband feel like he has to lie or that my kids need to lie? What is going on? And that's the part you can control. That's the part you can actually investigate and look inward and be honest with yourself and take a little journey and figure out what your contribution is to the problem. If your partner has a problem, then you have a problem. It's your problem together. So you work on your part and they work on their part and set a different intention. That's usually the best way. And and the brain has something called the reticular activation system, which is it basically just tags things that are familiar. And it's usually stuff we think about all the time. So if you're coming down the stairs and you're like, oh, well, he probably hasn't done this. And I'm sure this second I say this, he's going to do that. And I bet he hasn't done this with the kids or whatever it is, because we all do this. We're going to come in the room and that's exactly what our brain is going to tag. But there might be five things that your spouse is doing that are great. They made coffee for you. They opened the blinds. They've already taken the garbage out, whatever it is. Your brain isn't going to tag those things because it's not it's not emotionally relevant in that moment. So come down the stairs and say, I'm going to look for all the things my spouse is doing that are neutral, that are pleasant, that are kind, that are helpful, and start looking for those. And as you look for those, you're emotionally going to resonate with those. And it, it could literally change the channel that you're on. It's so funny. Nobody knows about the reticular activate activation system. Nobody ever hears. No one knows about this. Yeah, it's true. I don't know why. It is the thing yeah. that affects how you move in the world and how you live. And how it you is the, thing. the reality. Absolutely. And you can change it by envisioning something else for yourself, taking a look at it, changing the belief. Yeah. And tagging different things that you're going to start looking for. Right. I'm going to look for the times that my kid doesn't roll their eyes. <laughs> right. There are, there are times during the day when they don't roll their eyes. There are. Or when they're being cute or when they're being funny or when they're being quiet. Look for those things and right. look for that in your spouse or coworkers who are annoying you. And then the other piece Ed, that we talk about all the time, and it's so powerful, is your imagination. Imagine an entire week of interacting. So this is the, the, to answer the person's question where something completely different happens. And the partner says something lovely or something helpful and feel exactly how you'll feel when that's happening. Live it as if it's already happening and then watch after a few days what starts to happen in your real life. This is imagineering. This is this is yep. really practicing imagination, mm -hmm. which can be done anytime. And again, this is not an hour. This is not two hours of your day. This is a minute, two minutes. And just not only imagine it and think about how you want it to be. That, and imagine that it is already like that. That's the key. Is. And feel how you would feel if you came downstairs and your spouse reacted exactly the way you would like them to. Gave you a compliment. Did whatever you, you know, whatever makes you feel great. You thought they weren't going to do. Exactly. Just, just 
really spend your time doing this. Now, here's the thing that's important. We spend a lot of time thinking about what we don't like and what we don't want. You're, so you're doing that mental work anyway. So just take that exercise and make it about something positive. What most often happens, and there's all kinds of neurological reasons why, is that the other person's behavior does shift and does change because they're responding to different micro expressions on your face and huffs and breathing. And you'll actually change your reality because you're thinking about it differently. That's the first thing. And even if nothing changes, which almost never happens, by the way, you still feel better. Your body feels better. When we stress and we ruminate and we go over and over arguments in our head and we have these imaginary fights with our spouse or our coworkers in the car or in the shower, our brain thinks it's happening. And your DNA literally tightens up. It, it, it shrinks into these tighter coils, which means you're now making inferior copies of RNA, right? That's how disease starts. When you're relaxed and you're open and you're thinking about neutral things or positive things, your DNA actually stretches out and makes, and then better copies are made. Your, your immune system actually upgrades so it really doesn't do anything for us. We can, we can think about negative things for a little while because you, you do have to go towards emotions and feel them and then you have to release them, but then stop thinking about it. Have a, have a timer, have a watch, T say to yourself for 20 minutes, I'm going to bitch and ruminate about my wife or my husband and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to force myself to think about something else. You will feel different. You will change the neurobiology, uh, the chemical signals in your body. You will change how you feel. You are what you think. You are what you think. You are what you imagine. Yep. You are what you feel. Mm -hmm. Imagine, focus, feel. Mm -hmm. So much better than keep calm and carry on. Want to do it as a bumper sticker. Have the rights to it. Want to make the t-shirts. I love it. Say it again. Imagine. Imagine, focus, focus feel. feel. Yep. That's it. It's so simple. That's it. But that's really it. That's the name of my rock band. It's not Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's Imagine, Focus, Feel. <laughs> it's the it. same band members <laughs> who are coming out of retirement, but it's Imagine, Focus, Feel. And we'll be opening for Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> awesome. We didn't get to everyone's questions, but we'll, we'll, every few episodes we'll do this again. Yes, more questions to be answered. And thanks for listening. And thank you, Jennifer, for all of those great uh, suggestions. Oh, you're welcome. Really interesting and really practical, really, things that you can actually do. Uh, not things that I can actually do because I'm beyond. No, I can do them. I can do them. And I am doing them. And they make changes. Little things make big changes. My other t-shirt. Well, thank you for listening. And find us wherever you get your podcasts. As I say, makelightmedia.com, makelight, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com, or wherever you subscribe write to us at ed at makelightmedia.com for more questions and I'll get them answered by Jennifer and I'll, we will do this again. So ed at makelightmedia.com. Go to connectedparenting.com as well, connectedparenting.com to find out more about Jennifer and her amazing work. Keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We will see you next week. 